0: Hey everyone, it's Billy. It's Gabby. And welcome back to another week of Change By Degrees. And this week we have episode 83, That's All She Wrote. Never mind that Gabby decided to include a man in this episode. But I think that was a really good title. I thought it was going to be Writers, That's All She Wrote. Oh, sorry. Episode 83, Writers, That's All She Wrote. Because if we just
1: do That's All She Wrote, it makes it seem like this is our last episode or
0: something. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we're done. We're not. Um, We're not. We're not just yet. Um, But this guy's... Okay, This is going to be <laughs> our, our every season we have an episode on history. If you remember, I remember fondly Gabby yelling at me over um, Peter <laughs> last yes. season. Uh, and we have that so much like, fun. That was chaotic.
1: Was that only last season? That feels like a billion years ago. I was
0: in college. So maybe it was like two seasons two, ago.
1: Whatever. But, but we yes. typically
0: have one every season on history and it just so happens because we don't talk to each other about who what people were going to pick before and it just happens we picked all writers so yep. that's pretty amazing so we have four, four we have four writers. and gabby has some fantastic stories The end. i just think it's so I'm really gonna, funny, i usually have not. like a little uh joke to start us off but i'm gonna leave all the jokes for Gabrielle. <laughs> i don't here's the thing it's the that
1: i think that like i find history really hilarious and, and so we never learn from it but this one instance is to me. This is for the end. This for I the know. End. I'm not oh, going to okay, say okay. it. I'm just saying it's it's a disclaimer. Like I think it's very funny, but I doubt anyone else will find it as hilarious as I do, but that's okay. So don't get your hopes up. It's
0: just. I'm really excited to see what she has planned for us, but uh, uh, we're just going to dive right in because I don't know. I wrote notes and I still probably will get it all wrong. Um, but considering what we said last week that we are still this week on the charts in Lebanon. Hey, everybody. I don't know what y'all do me. We- I don't know but why it's but Lebanon my really my us. Uh, and we like you too. Yeah. We love you too. And I decided to pick um, a writer from Lebanon, and they're all also all the people we picked are deceased. So yes, because Good, I know last
1: time there was some there was some you picked conversation. a person who's still alive. Yes, I did. And I don't I was, remember. I, I don't even remember that. who we talked about last time. Either of us. That's very bad. But whatever.
0: I'm terrible. Um, but yes. So the person I picked is Emily Nasrallah. I probably butchered that last name. I'm so so sorry. Like that. How would you pronounce that? Nasralla. Nasralla. And she was born July 6, 1931 and uh, passed away March 13th to 2018. So really recently. But um, to open this little story time, I was going to give you a quote from her, which I thought that Tim, our boss, um, would love (laughs) her so much because she talked a lot about storytelling. Mm. So to open up a quote from her is, I am a story. We are from a simple village and my family are peasants. I lived my childhood working in the field with my family, um, planting and harvesting olives and grapes. And she kind of said her introductory bio. Mm -hmm. She was the eldest of six children born into a Christian family. I don't know if that's true or not. Some sources were differing on that, but apparently a Christian family. Um, And she was born in the village of Kifer. Again, I'm not sure about these pronunciations, but it's in South Lebanon. Um, She took the third grade three times or was in third grade two times because that's the level that they could go to. They couldn't go any higher. So I'm just like, I couldn't. I couldn't do that. but She, she was wanted like, to. I'm
1: just going to keep taking third grade until they tell <laughs> me to stop.
0: And she didn't, the school didn't offer any classes past that level, but education was important to her. So um, she had written to her uncle that was actually living here at the time to see if she could get some money from him <laughs> to afford to go to um, school. And he did. He did provide money. And she left home to study outside of her village at the International School of Cheofet. That's the last name that I'm going to butcher. I think there should be no <laughs> more names. I always get so stressed out <laughs> trying to read these. But um, during this time, she also worked as a journalist in a woman's magazine called The Voice of Woman, a political magazine uh, for 17 years, mind you. That's a lot, a lot of work. And as a teacher while she um, finished her degree. And um, that already, I'm just like, she had three jobs while mm-hmm. she was studying. And that's so amazing to me. Um I, I, just the amount of work she does so i'm just going to continue on because i don't want to get lost in the sauce <clears throat> um but during that time um she was dedicated to her family she got married um to her husband philip and had four kids and she spent her time writing both fiction uh, nonfiction, novels children's stories and short stories so she has a broad amount of she like of work.
1: covered everything everything <laughs>
0: everything and um along with all the articles she published in the magazines that she was working for. Um, But I wanted, before I talked a little bit about her work in detail, talk about her childhood and what was inspiring to me, because um, she fondly remembers her grandmother, and she says that her grandmother was uh, a storyteller. And um, that's where she got inspired to write stories uh, and from... The rest of her family also, her maternal uncle, separate from the one who paid for her education, um, was really invested with her at a a young age to develop her writing. Um, And she would give her writing prompts, which I thought was really, really cute. She would be like, who does this house belong to? Or where does this tree come from? Or write about the mountains. And I think that when I reviewed her writing later on in her life, it was reflective of almost these um, uncles... Teachings and how he was really invested um, with her at a young age, along with her husband, which I thought was really, really sweet. Um, because she always shared fondly with um, uh, interviewers that he would say, "You are free to do what you want. You write what you want." Like this man did not care. He was and like, he was "Whatever, like, how, who you might do tell what you <laughs> want to do." They had four kids. She was always invested in her family life, and when she had free time, she would write, and she wrote a whole, whole lot. And I thought you would also like this, while she was in school, she credits her teacher, Nassim Nassar. Um, it was her Arabic language teacher, so I'm sure you relate mm-hmm. to that, and how much uh, he helped her develop as a writer, and she quotes his red correction pen, the the harsh Triggered. criticism from that, and I'm like, that must be a thing in the writing community. It's a red yes, pen. Yes,
1: always a red pen. Uh, always a red pen, it's which is so blaring. funny It's when you get that paper back, and it's just we used to call it in class like it just the paper's bleeding (laughs) and we'd say how much is your paper bleeding and the person next to me like look and be like oh god so she she
0: apparently recollects that fondly so i think we all relate to that as creatives that hey we can take harsh criticism and be really grateful to those people who helped us grow out of are not so good writing her works. <laughs> so it was really funny to me that she just recollected all these people yeah. who poured into her um, despite being born in the situation she was in, whether it was her grandmother, her family, um, her uncles, and now this, this teacher. But the the first um, publication that she's very well known for, and Gabby didn't recognize it. I was so happy Gabby didn't recognize this person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Birds of September. It's her first novel published in 1962, and it's about her siblings immigrating um, away from her village. And a lot of her work was based on immigration outside of this village. And she kind of quotes her grandmother with the sentiment that it's a land that doesn't hold its people. Mm-hmm. Um and she was so sad. It's it's said that when she was done writing the book, the the pages were drenched with her tears because mm-hmm. she was just so sad that the her whole family left and she stayed there her whole life. Even though um, after writing about immigration, her writing shifted to talk more about the Lebanese civil war, which lasted for fifteen years. Like I didn't know anything about Lebanon, but it lasted for 15 years and then she wrote even children's books, one of them being um, What Happened to Zico, which is a little cat. It's it's a, a children's story from the perspective of her daughter's cat um, and them living in their house until eventually it was bombed um, in 1982. And a lot of people find it interesting that she didn't try to like dummy down what was happening. She mm-hmm. was very graphic in a sense and just went, was straight up and this cat eventually stays in this area this house even though the rest of the family has to move mm-hmm. away because of um the bombings um but yeah i, I just thought that all her writing whether if, if it was immigration um speaking on the war and she also she didn't say she was a feminist but sometimes we say that but mm-hmm. she did speak for um woman and uh, justice for women. I thought it was really interesting though that she said she wanted women to be equal to men um, because as she went to school and worked in these magazines, she saw that women could progress if they were just given the opportunity to be so. Mm. But she didn't want to preach to women because she said, women know themselves. Um, and their fields of work. So she's like, I'm not going to speak for that, but if I see injustice, I'm going to speak towards Mm -hmm. it. And um, through her whole life, she really, really valued um, just individuals. doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what work they do. She said, although there was many um, problems with my family, And the pool between the city and the countryside um, or with the war, she's like, we still have to value human beings. So I don't know. It was really interesting. And I think if you learn more about her and her work, it offers a really unique perspective as to Lebanese history, which I have to admit, I was completely ignorant of. Um, But. It was amazing. And then uh, two more pieces that I think is good to note is uh, Flight Against Time, which is about an older couple who moves away from this city, again, immigration, to both Canada, New York, and experiences kind of alienation coming from a different land and just that unique perspective because a lot of the people who review her work are saying how the female protagonist um, has this battle w- um, when they move away from their homeland. Um, in their workplaces, in their families, just in relationships. Um, and then, of, of course, in the war, when she started talking more about the war than, rather than immigration. And lastly, From the Harvest of the Days is a collection of articles in three parts about violence against women. It's about women poets and politicians and life in Beirut. And its artistic perseverance. So she has so much work. Whether if a you're lot. into um, politics, if you're into just short stories, into novels, into children's literature, she's covered everything. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I just thought it was it was so fun to learn more about her. Uh, apparently, German listeners are very very into her. I don't know why. Hmm. She even got recognized specifically in a German museum because she. Had like a relationship with them and had conferences. And she's like, My German listeners are so great. I don't know why. Um, So that was really funny Mm. to me. I don't know why. Um, Yeah, it's kind of strange. Out of all the places, they're like, We like this chick. Um, And I like her too. And then lastly, uh, an ending quote that I thought Gabby would appreciate is that she said, Just as the rooster has to crow, so we have to write. Um, That's nice. And uh, I think she's truly an inspiration. And I have to do more research. Maybe I'll end up reading a book from hers. That'd be cool. But um, yeah, she just wrote mm-hmm. so so much about so so many things, and uh, I I can relate to that. She was just that's pretty cool. Just writing.
1: I really like um, discovering new authors, and I really. I was surprised
0: you didn't know. No, she's like the most
1: famous like Lebanese woman. Yeah, Lebanese no, writer.
0: Never heard of her. They're like super proud that, that she's um, in Lebanon and spoke <laughs> as to so many things, whether it's women's rights mm-hmm. or the civil war. Um, or immigration, and how she's like, this land doesn't keep its people. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is a really interesting concept uh, that comes up in a lot of Middle Eastern literature. Um, not just Middle Eastern literature, but specifically, in my mind, it comes up in Middle Eastern literature, mm-hmm. is that that's, you know, a, always a theme, not always, but a big theme throughout, like, Middle Eastern literature, whether mm-hmm. the person is Arab or Israeli or whatever, but um, that there's this always this tension between the land And people wanting to stay because it's their home, but not Mm -hmm. being able to because of war or or famine or different opportunities Mm -hmm. or better opportunities. Um, So and even like different. um, Arab people that I've had conversations with here have said that without, you know, outside of the context of literature Mm -hmm. have said, um, you know, I didn't want to come here, but I had to because I want my children to have opportunities or I want I didn't want to live under the regime that, you know, and so, but they expressed that they love their country and they love their home, but they can't stay. And so, which is also very interesting. And that that is what literature is. Like, that's why certain things are literature and certain things that are written aren't literature, but literature, Mm. at least the standard definition of literature is literature that reflects the time period or the people group or the country that it's in. That's what makes it literature. So when you think of classic literature, like when you think of, I don't know, and plus it brings in themes and stuff that are then perceived as canon but um but I think with Middle Eastern literature it's very much reflective of its people which makes it like kind of the standard definition of what literature is so um it's just so and I think you're like you're right with what's her name Emily Emily yeah I think it's you know she's just you you at one point said that she just writes pretty uninhibited very raw very honest with her writing yeah, it and how matter. she feels about her country or her people or her family or whatever um and so I think that's pretty conducive to other middle eastern writers and stuff that they're pretty honest yeah because
0: i have to say i don't know a whole lot you would know more about those writings but yeah she was very harsh what even if it was a a children's story like well
1: because it's kind of one of those things where it's like they live it so why not write about it speak about it like not censor it like so mm. I'm not going to not tell the truth, so that's very interesting. It reminds me of I don't know if I've talked about this woman before. I might have, but I might not have because she's still alive. But um, she's a poet. She's Somalian born, but she lives now in the UK, I believe. But her name is uh, Warson Shire I think I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know. Um, but she has a poem that became really famous during um the refugee the Syrian refugee crisis in 2012 through like 2016. But I think. The poem came out in like, 2016-ish. And it's called Home. And pretty much the whole poem is just talking – it's one of my favorite poems. The whole poem is talking about um, – uh, and the line that's repeated is just, like, um, you only leave home when home won't let you stay. And it's just mm-hmm. kind of talking about – and it reminds me, even though she's not from the Middle East, she's from Somalia, but it's just the whole concept of, like, you know, I think a lot of times we think that people are, like, jumping the gun or trying to get here. And the whole poem is kind of just talking about, like, you know, I would. I don't, I don't want to come yeah. here kind of, but like I, I have to. And so, and the whole poem just talks about like, you only run for the border when the whole city's running as well. You only get into, she like, and mm-hmm. there's this one line, I don't remember how it goes, but pretty much saying like, you really think I'll put my kids in a boat because I want to. Mm -hmm. I don't only put my kids in a boat because the the sea is safer than the land. Mm -hmm. And so it just reminds me of Emily's works where she has this tension between um, wanting to stay and wanting to have a country that will embrace her and embrace her, you know, with all the things she wants to do and opportunities and stuff, but it, it's not. But you said she stayed the whole time in Lebanon, She did, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, all her siblings, and that's why she wrote Birds of September, recounting her experience where she's super sad that, like, everybody else has left. Yeah,
1: But it's, like, kind of, like, it's not a flippant decision. No. Um, And I think even with, like, the Syrian refugee crisis, when we had all these migrants getting in boats and just kind of drifting in the mm. sea, like... You're not going to just do that because you're like, oh, you know, I don't know if Siri's going to. It's like, this is a life or death decision. Like, you think I'm going to put my five-year-old in a boat because I think this might be better than like, no, dude. Like, it's because we see our city killing us. Mm -hmm. And so I think. I don't know. It just reminded me of that. That, But it also reminds me of, like, the immigrant and migrant experience in general. And, yeah, no.
0: That's what I thought yeah. it was relatable because I'm sure there's a lot of listeners, a lot of people who can relate to that even if they're not from Lebanon. Yep. Um, whether it's that refugee crisis mm-hmm. or, or even now, like, with Afghanistan. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sure there's so many people. I think sometimes we look at somebody who's deceased and has works about something that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago, and they're like, okay, well, that was then. But I'm like, no, this is very re- relatable now. Yeah, it is. And it's sad, but it's true. So pouring into those works and seeing how people struggled similarly and Mm -hmm. made decisions, you know? And I love
1: literature that does that as well, because then it also connects people um, that even though your experience is unique to you, you read literature and you read books and you realize you're not alone mm -hmm. in that struggle. And I think that's also something that books do around the world is that they connect people and they give ideas or they give words to something that you feel but don't know how to express. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, somebody else also experiences this or knows how I'm feeling and they described it perfectly and so I think that's also like whether you're living in Lebanon or you're living in Syria or you're living in Somalia Mm. or you know Haiti it doesn't matter everyone uh, several countries hundreds of countries identify with this struggle of wanting to stay but not wanting to stay wanting to leave but not really wanting to leave kind of thing and being sad when your family leaves but understanding why but you can't pull yourself to do that as well because you know it's your home right and so I really which yeah it's just
0: I mean so many people I think just relate to that I can't I I can't relate to that but hundreds of people can Mm -hmm. I've never Mm -hmm.
1: had to make the decision not even with like a year in advance but in like two or three days being mm-hmm. like oh we got to get out like right. I've never I've never faced that I doubt I ever will yeah but like
0: the crisis situation yeah or people but, in general uh, who like in any country well I can for example like my mom we moved to from Puerto Rico to here yeah and it's not that's part of the U.S. <laughs> it's not as drastic or mm-hmm. an emergency of a situation but just because of better opportunities and even today after if there's natural disasters like hurricanes mm-hmm. in certain areas where you just you're taken away from your home mm-hmm. and and that sad feeling. And I think it was an interesting perspective because number one, she did stay. I feel like a lot of literature that I've read at least is about somebody who's moved in their experience, yep. feeling alienated in the new place. Yeah. But having that flip side of the coin of somebody who has stayed and been like, wow, this is problematic. Let yeah. me tell you how this is problematic. Let me tell you my experience. I think that's an experience we hear less rather than the mm-hmm. flip side. So that's I was just cool. like, oh, that's the last thing I was expecting. But yeah, she did the thing,
1: but then she also did have a story or a book or something about like her family members leaving and experiencing in in Canada. The and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, she I had think that was more both, a story, a novel yeah. of, of as opposed to right. her own account, but yeah.
0: correct of like, yeah, these people did leave and that is what happened then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, That's the, cool. just even that language of like a land who doesn't keep its people, I think it's just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of lands that can't keep their people uh-huh. as much as their people love their land,
1: yeah, and even with like. Um, the refugee crisis in Afghanistan. Now, mm. I had a conversation with um, a man of, like a month or two ago when this was all happening in Afghanistan, and he was telling me how he came here. And I asked him when he came here, and he said back in the eighties or nineties. And um, mm, and he he, right. he expressed he was like, yeah, I didn't really want to, I didn't want to come here. He was like, but he was like, I, I I wanted my kids to have better opportunities. I didn't trust the government, um, and I didn't trust the u.s especially he wanted to go back he was planning on going back um to visit and maybe you know i don't know try to get his family to convince him to come up but he never i don't think he ever went back to afghanistan after moving here in the 80s because he mm-hmm. was like i as soon as the u.s invaded he was like i didn't trust i didn't trust the u.s there i didn't trust my own country i didn't trust the taliban i didn't trust any of it so mm-hmm. he never went back but he was saying that like Obviously it wasn't a flippant decision, but he was also like he was like here in America, he was like, I struggle to find a job. I have to kinda take um lower paying jobs. Um he was like, But in Afghanistan, he was like, I was a doctor, I had degrees. He was like, right. but none of those count here. He was like, So why would I why would I want to come here? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> well, but I think less. Yeah, I think as oh, Americans, we always think that like Oh, everyone wants to come come into this country because we have – And it's like, yes, they want to come here because it's safe. They don't really necessarily want to come here because we have like tons – I don't want to say tons for them, but just Mm -hmm. like – But I was just like, yeah, I never thought of it that way, that this man was like a doctor. He had clients. He had a lot of money. He Mm -hmm. had degrees. And now he has to come here and he struggles to find a job that pays a minimum wage because none of it counts here. And so I was just like, yeah, that sucks. Like I don't know what else – I can't relate to that at all, Mm -hmm. but I'm just – I was like, I'm sorry, like – you know, I hope that you find a, a better job or I hope that you can – he's actually going to school online so that he mm. can find a degree here. He was like, but he was a professor. Like, he did all these like, things and now he's almost like, like starting over. He's right. like, yeah, that's not something I wanted to do. It's a burden. It's a struggle to do it. Um, so it's not a flippant decision, but I really like that um, you get that perspective, but then you also have Emily's perspective of staying. It's still mm-hmm. struggling, but in different ways. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I was just like, hey, Lebanon, you have an amazing history. I know you struggled mm-hmm. a whole lot, um, but it was great to learn about Emily. And just, yeah. I think it's relatable again, even today, if you're struggling with any portion of that, just reading somebody else's perspective, I think can be really enlightening.
1: Yeah. we
0: will have to read some of her stuff. I don't know. Maybe. When did she
1: die? You said recently, 2018? 2018.
0: Uh, 2018.
1: Like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was March, March 13th. March 13th, 2018.
1: 2018. Yeah, I'll have to read some of her stuff. A whole lot of posthumously, but cool.
0: Yeah, that's my first person. That's your first person. That's my first person.
1: My first person. <laughs> I'm so I curious have, right okay, now. Okay, first of all. I'm I'm not ill prepared, but I'm less prepared than Millie. But it's oh, okay well, because I have a book. I, like your biography. So. No, you didn't. It's <laughs> fine. Um okay, so my first person is T. S. Eliot, who I really he's one of my favorite poets because he wrote The Wasteland, which is um not one poem it's like a collection of poems but it, anyway called the wasteland and then his other poem that i always read his stuff around this time because it gives me very like fall wintery type vibes um but one of my absolute favorite poems besides like i don't know the ones i started reading when i was a child like <laughs> i think the very first poem i ever read was the raven by poe but oh, yeah, I I, say po. you like Poe? Yeah, i do like poe a lot and then another let America Be America Again by Langston Hughes was another of the very first poems I remember reading as a child. But um, one of my favorite poems that I started reading as an adult is called The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock, and it's by T.S. Eliot. And it's kind of lengthy, not very, but kind of, And but it's just one of my favorite poems. So when I was thinking of people, I was like, because I've been reading this poem like every day, I love it. I absolutely love Aww. it. I was just like, ah, T.S. Eliot. Um, and he's one of the only poets that I really like... From the modernist era that i really like because i'm not a super big modernist mm. which is like early 20th century he wrote a lot um like um early 1900s uh 1914 1915 stuff like that um which is like kind of around world war one that's the modernist era mm. but i just really really love him ezra pound is the other one i really really love but i really like T.S. Eliot more, but um, but yeah, so I'm just like, it's pretty impressive that this man made me love modernist poetry, because I'm mm-hmm. not a uh, modernist in any sense of the word when it comes to poetry, but um, he was born in America, I think he was born in, I don't remember, but I have a book, so it's fine, because I can cheat, <laughs> he was born in St. Louis, Missouri, okay, in 1888, and um, he went to Harvard, I believe, smart. he went to an Ivy League okay. college, he was extremely smart. Um, he later moved when he was eighteen, I think he moved to England um and he started working there. He met his wife there, his first wife. Um, and then it was really it's really what's really funny about the modernist movement is that everyone knew each other, which was one aspect of the modernist movement I really enjoyed learning about in college. Hmm. Um so usually when you have like writers, um I don't I want to say like, before the 1850s. Yeah, you
0: talked about how they're like
1: so isolated. They, they live in a yeah, world they by themselves. Are isolated. And I think writers are already kind of famous for that. Like <laughs> Emily Dickinson. She right. she didn't <clears throat> really interact with anybody. But um but a lot of writers are just so isolated, and it's just the nature of trains not being invented until, mm-hmm. you know, the 19th century, but um and communication being taking so long and stuff like that. So It's just funny how you see technology advance writers as well. But um, the only two instances I can think of before like the 18 – before the late 1800s of writers actually knowing each other and interacting with each other would be Wilkie Collins and Charles Dickens. And they had this kind of like frenemies relationship, which is really, really funny. (laughs) Um, But then later in the late 1800s – all um, in the early 19th century, you have like modernists or early 20th century, 1900s. You have modernists like interacting with each other. So T.S. Eliot knew Ezra Pound, who knew um, Gertrude Stein, who knew. And then they also knew like painters like Picasso was involved. Oh. like they so all, all knew together. each other. They're all together. A social so club. It really it was. They would hang out together in public places and um, they were friends and blah, blah, blah. So I just really liked T.S. Eliot. He was a British citizen. He renounced his American citizenship actually in 1927, I believe. Um, He went to, (laughs) when he went to England, he just, he loved it so much and he loved having friends there and stuff. So funny. That's where everyone kind of gathered was Europe. That's where like the the modernist movement really occurred. Um, But I... Just, I don't know, I just think that's, like, so cool that for, like, pretty much the first time we see instances of, like, not just poets and authors, but also painters coming in. And um, one of my favorite quotes is not by Eliot, but it's by one of Eliot's friends, Gertrude Stein, who was a poet, a modernist poet. And she said she was very good friends with Picasso until later in life and then they had some weird, he owes me money type of thing. But, um, and I think they died mad at each other. But uh, anyway, but, um, but she had, and I just, I, she said the way that Picasso paints, I want to write like that. Hmm. And so that was kind of like the overarching theme of the modernist movement that I think Elliot, out of all the poets embodied the best, even though he didn't say that quote. I just feel like his poetry is so abstract, yet full of meaning. I think it's, that's one reason why I don't, love modernist poetry is that it's so abstract you you can't, you can't even get, get any- anything. anything I can't I personally right. can't get anything out of it maybe we're not
0: smart enough but <laughs> it's probably it but T.S.
1: Eliot I feel like really like um was just so and if you have I mean go read the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock it's just so good or if you don't want to read the whole thing I know if you go to poets.org or famous poets and I don't know what it is there's audio you can just listen to it but um but it's just such a journey reading it. It's so good. And I just really love the way he wrote. And I think he was just a really cool guy. He's super smart. Like he went to an Ivy League college and then just went to England and was like, I'm going to denounce my citizenship now <laughs> to America because I love it here. And then his wife, he had a really tumultuous relationship with his wife. Um, it's okay. It was just a
0: little messy. She, yeah. <laughs> he was
1: very annoyed because <laughs> she had a, um, a lot of health issues Aww. and was very sickly, which isn't her fault. But he was just like... he. They would have to send her away to different hospitals all the time, oh. and so it was just kind of a tumultuous relationship. And finally, I think her brother put her—is really sad—put her in a mental institution against mm-hmm. her will, pretty much. And she later died there. And then Elliot got remarried to another lady, and I think the relationship was fine or whatever. I don't really know. But um, but I have this book called "Writers: Their Lives and Works," which is like not thousands of pages; it's very large. <laughs> it's like 500 pages of just like different writers and it's I love it because it's all like um categorized by um like a timeline but it's also categorized by like postmodern, modernist contemporary like just it's just I love it like the writer in me I will just flip if I'm bored I'll like flip through this and like discover a new author or whatever but
0: well it's like that book you got me yes the history one Yeah. yeah yeah yeah
1: which I love so much um but I really We're boring people. I, I swear. I, I know. I'm like just I'm the most boring, uninteresting. I just sit here and I'm like, interesting. Let me read about dead people. But um, but the quote they have at the top, which actually it's from the Hollow Men, which I had to read an excerpt of from in college. But um, it says, This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Hmm. And um, I don't know. I just really, I just really, really like him. I like the way his mind works uh, as much as I can tell from his writing. And actually fun fact. So the musical cats, um, that Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote and God knows why, but <laughs> is actually based off of T.S. Eliot's uh, poem, not called cats. It's called something else, but it, T.S. Eliot loved cats. And so he I'm wrote screening. a poem called Mr. Mistopheles, And then he had another one called something, but anyway, T. Uh, S. Eliot's that's is what the inspiration. is the inspiration for the musical Cats. So if you if hate you the musical liked, Cats, uh, I'm so sorry. But um,
0: but if you liked it, if, if you, you liked know, it, you know the real reason why you need
1: to read some T. S. Eliot because T. S. Eliot wrote about cats. Um, but yeah. So anyway, I and he also struggled a lot with with mental health issues and depression and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he wrote through it, and I think that's really admirable as well. So I really
0: relatable. Love Eliot. Old are relatable. Old, dead people, I love old people. Dead people are relatable. Dead people that people are relatable. Dead people
1: can I'm, learn a lot. I know I had I just had to choose I had to choose an old white man, but I just really love <laughs> <laughs> I just really I just he was at the top of my mind because I've been reading the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Like
0: watch us all read it now. It's just one You've of my favorite lines.
1: Movement. One of my favorite lines from the poem. Because it's about it follows like this man um who's not really the narrator, but it once again hard to explain modernist poetry. But um one of my favorite lines from the poem is, do I dare disturb the universe? And I just think that's like, and the the question is never answered in the poem. When you read it, Ah. you're reading kind of a, you're reading a poem, but it's almost like narrative. And it just, it's, I just really love that quote of, do I dare disturb the universe? And it kind of begs the question like, oh, well, do I? What happens if I do? What happens if you don't kind of thing? And so I just really love that poem and the progression of it. And
0: um dude imagine having like tea with this man in some sort of cafe i know and actually my the mug Your I mind would be blown is literally <laughs> yeah. i
1: mean yeah and the, like the mug i have um that i sometimes the one the one i carry around that it's like black and white if I have anything. Oh, about. yes, so yes. That's, and the like on it has a quote. Yes, it rate, has a yeah. quote from T.S. Eliot on there. And it's not Do I Dare disturb the Universe, but it's still from the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And it says, um, I measure my life out in coffee spoons, which is from the oh, poem as well. yes. And yes, so I just I love, love – it's just like so many different like little anecdotes throughout the – poem that are just, like, so good. It's just, like, so, just, like, like, how mm. did your
0: brain make that, like, single sentence? Yeah. What did you have there? What and was it's going just, on? And it's just... You
1: read the poem and you're, like, you have a bit of an existential crisis. At least I do. Every time I think <laughs> of Do I Dare Disturb the Universe, it's just, like... It it kind of almost reminds me of like the butterfly effect of like if I make this decision versus this one, I how will that affect changes. everything else? And so it just gives you a lot of existentialism to think about. But I, which I Gabby
0: yeah, enjoys love. that she I do, but you I enjoy don't portray
1: yourself. <laughs> um, but I just so I just really I just the only reason why I chose T.S. Eliot is because I just love him for writing that poem because it's one of my favorites and it's just it's just so brilliant and like the imagery. I know I'm going on and on. No, I just love ahead. this. poem. I love it so much. Like the imagery of. Um, Like just the way he writes. It's just just go read it. It's just so it's just so brilliant. I love it so much. And the more you read it, you discover something new. Even Ah, now, when I read it, like if because I love reading it this time of year because it just gives me like fall vibes. And so I'll read it and then be like, I didn't really like notice that last last year. You know it, but it's questions there's a lot of questions in the poem from do I dare to st- disturb the universe to do I dare to eat a peach? Do I dare to do this? Do I-? And it's just so good. Like, I just, ah, just love it. Anyway, I would read <laughs> not, it if it wasn't oh, long, but it's long, so I'm oh, not going to. Oh,
0: it's, okay. it's, it's not, It's you not too, a too long. It's not as
1: long as The Raven. Oh, I should have. Oh, well, it's fine. Wait,
0: well... Uh, Jax, hold us accountable uh, for our promo. For our promo, <laughs> for our you promo. can have a little
1: excerpt. Well, I'll read a little excerpt from, <clears throat> from, from uh, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. All right. Anyway, <laughs> I'm done. T.S. Eliot, go look him up. If you like cats, thank him. If you hate cats, still thank still him. Still thank him because someone out there loves, loves cats. it. Hey, it made Andrew Lloyd Webber a lot of money. Uh, well, so, there you go. <laughs> it made a horrible movie so you know what we discussed that James Corden James Corden better have read he better
0: congratulate that's all I gotta say anyway (laughs) that was lovely I I look forward to reading this excerpt just a lighter
1: lighter note there
0: Um, my second person I'm not I'm going to try it not speed through it but i can talk (laughs) about it like forever and ever and when i was i tried to pick a woman from puerto rico Mm -hmm. because everybody knows you should know i'm puerto rican and i'm very passionate about it and i went down like so many black holes of like history that i didn't know and it took me forever to pick a person so i'm glad you're learning more about your culture i I really am i really am i should know so much more (laughs) like we are so involved in nasa it's almost insane which i told you the the astronaut because you think about nasa it's like the one percent of the one percent but like 50 puerto Ricans are involved that's very Good. Um. So funny, but anyway, this is another writer, and her name is Ana Roque de Dupree. These are names I can pronounce. So now I'm you're like, happy. you're like, I'm not like, gonna mumble the name. Thing. I'm not gonna be like, mm-hmm. I'm not <laughs> going to butcher this. She was born April 18th in 1853. Oh, her birthday's right after mine. There you go. That's nice. Twinsies. Okay. Um, and she was born in Aguadilla, which is just a town in Puerto Rico. And by three, she could read and write completely. Her mother taught her. Okay, uh, so she's a genius. She's, she's already a genius, yeah. and it just gets more impressive um her mother died at four which is really sad but she was taught by her father aunt and grandmother this was like a family business they were all educators so she was very very educated um by 11 she was the youngest teacher's assistant and by 13 she opened up her own school so already i feel like a little piece of like nothing yeah. uh, compared to her, but that's okay. 100%. Um, she wrote the geography textbook that she taught from, and it was used in other schools. So she's, so she's like making her own materials. She's one
1: of those teachers um, that's like, you have to have this book for class, and you look at the author, and you're like, oh, because it's you. That's why you require it, this material. You,
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and she opened the school from her own home, and she was an educator for like the rest of her life, along with writing stuff uh, in addition to all that. Um In 1872, she married her husband, Luis. He was a landowner, also a slave owner. Um, I love that. Yeah, and her one condition to marry him was that she could teach the slaves and they would never bow. But don't worry. This bad character uh, died shortly thereafter, six (laughs) years later. (laughs) And like, don't uh, discredit her. Don't discredit her. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, left her widowed with three young kids. And she was really happy about that. But she raised them. Still very, very well. Um, After that whole ordeal, she taught in Arecibo, where she earned a bachelor's in philosophy and science. In 1893, she founded La Mujer, which means the woman, and it was the first magazine in Puerto Rico to be, like, woman-owned, woman-edited, for woman, by woman, we already know, kind of like... ah. I'm not going to do that, but it's really good. Uh, Hopefully that warms up your heart. (laughs) It made my heart
1: grow very cold. Um, And in
0: 1899, she became the director of the Normal School of San Juan. San Juan is the capital of Puerto Rico. Um, And this follows shortly thereafter from 1898, which is when the U.S. invaded... Puerto Rico, And she decided to teach English to her students so they could better communicate with the U.S. officials um, because they were ill-equipped to deal with these people because they didn't understand the language. Just she was like, this is very, very important. In 1902, she established a teacher's academy, a high school for girls and the College of Mayagüez, which uh, now today is the University of Puerto Rico, which actually is where my mom studied at uh, when she went there when she was 15. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, very near and dear. She did a whole lot of things. She also was the um, first woman to go into the ananthanum of Puerto Rico which is like where they keep plants and books and all mm. that um and the first woman to be enrolled in what's it called I'm looking at Wikipedia so like Gabby isn't judging me because I'm not I have I'm literally
1: like <laughs> holding a book but and I'm i have screenshots on my phone. I'm like screaming. I'm very but yes the
0: first woman to become a member of the public library nice um I have so many tabs open so you see she had a book and I have tabs let me go to the one that I wanted um and then lastly, she, well, not lastly, the, the, I'm getting to the main part of this whole thing.
1: <laughs> I like how you have like bullet points and I just like rambled.
0: Um, she also spent like so many years of her life um, working on a botany book um, about Caribbean trees and plants like oh, flora. It's cool. And it's like the most comprehensive book of Caribbean flora that's yet to exist. And it was widely vastly ignored for the longest time because she was a woman writer um that's very hard yeah this i would
1: look at a blade of grass and be like i think that's i, I am I screaming don't i don't know is. why
0: <laughs> she decided to do this but she why did, not and we're very very grateful um and it spanned over like 30 notebooks, and it's like 6,000 trees and plants. And she didn't just write about them; she would draw these really nice pictures. And there's a lot of effort nowadays to try to get this like journals like compiled and digitized so people can hmm. look at it. Because even today, people use it to learn how to better sustainably farm in Puerto Rico, um, which is like amazing to me because she's a little a little older from, mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to the other people we're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, so let's go to the tea. And this I didn't write notes. So I'm like, let me just look at this web page. Oh, <clears> there's <throat> tea? There is tea. Oh, so nice. so <laughs> which is considering women's suffrage. Okay. Oh, nice. So which in case uh, people didn't know, Puerto Ricans still can't vote for the U.S. president. We are citizens mm. of the U.S. Okay. Um, in 1917, the U.S. government passed the Jones Act. And I spent a whole semester in my college learning about it and how it kind of screwed Puerto Rico over. Uh, to this day, to this day, are we surprised about that? We're though? we're not surprised. Not really. And uh, when the Jones Act was passed, that made all um, Puerto Rican citizens of the U.S., but only allowing men to vote. Am I surprised? No, we're not surprised. Um, and so when uh, Anna noticed this, along with many other women, working women, mind you, they were like, "Wait, we need to vote," and they became um, the Puerto Rican Feminine League. Uh, which was dedicated to women's suffrage but as they kind of did their research about the 19th amendment they realized it's not just about women voting but about women holding office so then they changed their name I I really it was cracking me up though this is why I I need a web page because they kept changing their name and then they split up over different differences and they had their own names and I was just like this is way too many names Um, but after it wasn't just about suffrage but about uh, women in general They changed it to the Suffragist Social League in 1921 when it began to seek civil and political rights for women beyond suffrage, uh, such as the right to hold public office. Um, Now, this is when the tea began. And this is where Puerto Rico is super messy because we're a mix of Taino Indians, um, uh, African-Americans, Spanish people. It's a mess. Um, And when women were talking about this battle for their right to vote there were uh, some women who were of the mind that only educated or women literate women could have the right to vote not all women mm-hmm. and that was a, a concern of the elite as gabby likes to the say elite. because usually they didn't want women to vote who were um lower income stay-at-home moms and typically women of color um they didn't want them to have the power to vote and so when it w- it was it was really problematic i'm like y'all what are you fighting for i'm mm-hmm. like what difference does it make um But when that did happen, then they split and formed two different groups. Um, Anna was in the good group and she said (laughs) (laughs) we should, uh, all women should have this right to vote. And it was interesting though having to think about the politics of it all because, and I'll I'll quote her in a second, because she knew she couldn't be too radical. She needed to give like an easier pill to swallow um, to men. So she said because women are mothers, she said when she goes to legislate in the House, she does so in compliance with her divine duty as a mother she works for the good of all society's children etc etc and she was kind of again she's like okay all these men they're not gonna accept if i just say hey women are equal to men we can do anything you can do but we're like hey you know we're mothers we should have a right in in public office to speak on these things that affect Mm -hmm. us and all these things and um eventually this did what this argument won but not in her lifetime it was Mm, two years after so she crawled so others could walk um and I just, she's amazing. Like, I breeze through so much history, but. Um, I think uh, we, I of course learned about women's suffrage in America when I was Mm -hmm. in elementary school, but thinking about the battle, I hadn't even thought about that. Although I, I, I did know when my parents told me, yeah, we're not allowed to vote for the president if you live in Puerto Rico. But the fact that when the Jones Act was passed, that's one part that I didn't know about it. I know about taxes and tariffs and all that other stuff that was not good. Um, but the fact that they were like, yeah, you're all citizens. And although women can vote in the U.S., only Puerto Rican men can vote and, uh, then the, the yeah. women were at the forefront and saying, like, ah, it's not good. Um, so amazing. If you are interested in botany, you can do that. <laughs> if she had a bunch of articles. <laughs> she did have books. She wrote music. She studied and oh. wrote music. It doesn't mean that it was amazing, but she was like, you know but what? She I'm did gonna, anyway. But she did it anyway. <laughs> um, all that while while teaching. So we love a suffragist. We we do love that. And yep. I was just like, I didn't know about sis i mean puerto rico has a ton of famous women who fought just in general for women's rights and all that mm-hmm. and uh she's one of the less radical people which i was like it's okay we still need to talk about her mm-hmm. i felt bad she wasn't uh, as included especially since it didn't happen in her lifetime but i think um her mind was in the right place and doesn't she it just
1: suck when like you have like an activist or a writer or somebody that dies
0: <laughs> like dude and then and then, and then, all then all these it comes to pass yeah so nice. i was really like wow she crawled so others could walk yeah um but yeah and just learning more about my island's history and in general since puerto rico is part of the u.s everybody should know yeah to crack jokes but it's very very important and there's um cool again she was a writer she was a writer it's just her work was focused around writing about it was like academic writing academic writing which Um, is or or yeah botany but it's okay botany and i was like whoa when of all subjects but she was like that and she sketched out the plants and things and she yeah and she drew them so she could she's and an it artist bad. As it didn't look well. it wasn't like sticks it was like actual like well yeah if you're going to be drawings. a botanist you Dude, probably should like i
1: don't i don't know it's kind of bad if you're like i want to do like a book on botany and then there's one flower that could poison you and another one that will heal you and, and draw, the right? drawing is no. crap then no. someone she, dies she, because and they look crap nice. i saw a few
0: images and i was like oh watch wow, this this could like actually you like, got to
1: like actually be good. Do, do the thing
0: That's what i'm saying like
1: i would look at one flower and be like that looks the same as that i don't i don't know um would
0: I would still have the page in front of me and be like is that it?
1: <laughs> I would be so bad. Um, like I
0: said, we're not the people. <laughs> but this is people. why
1: this is why other people are, uh, are do doing things. doing the things and we we don't have to.
0: But yeah, just a little bit of a little history. That was a very quick overview cuz I knew I could go on and on forever so I'm like let me cap myself here. I pulled up the web page and I'm like this is where I'm going to end. <laughs> <it."> <laughs> Love that. But cool. no, that was my my second person. Nice.
1: Well, my last person is not even... I'm not even... Here's the thing. I'm okay, not good. even necessarily... I like how starting. I'm not even necessarily wanting to talk about... I mean, I'll talk about hers as, as a writer, as a person. But... Um, and once again, I can't remember if I've mentioned her on this podcast before or not, but she's dead. She died a few, like only a few years ago, 20, 2019, I think, but Toni Morrison. And I'm only bringing oh, her yes. up because people are losing their life yes. over banning her books. So, because this is our podcast and I can do what I want with it, <laughs> I'm gonna talk about it and why you shouldn't be banning her books like idiots. So... That's just what I'm using this platform <laughs> no, go for. Ahead. Um, so Toni Morrison, <laughs> I should have seen this coming. <laughs> I, well, because she's been in the what news recently. Yes, yes. And if she was still alive, she would be destroying everybody. Um, but she's not she still alive, so here we are. And she's in this book as well. She is. Of, of writers, I don't know what page. I have to find it. But um, is she right
0: next to T.S. Eliot?
1: She's not. She's a little <laughs> bit. She's. She's not in the modernist movement. But I don't know if they put her under. I think she was still alive when this book came out. So she's probably underwriting today. Oh. But I don't know and I don't see her name maybe she wasn't alive when this book came out in the index hold please for oh no there she is 308 so yeah this book she must have still been alive when this book came out but um anyway so yeah Toni Morrison I the first time I read Toni Morrison I think I was in I think I was in college but I don't think it was for a college in class. College? I not think. in high school? No, hmm. no, definitely not. I mean, not in school, in high school. But I don't think I read I, – I take that back. I think I read God Help the Child maybe when I was in high school, but it wasn't for a high school class. It was like on my own. I read it or whatever. But um, her most famous book is Beloved. And that's the one that's kind of coming under fire now um, in our state, in Texas, and um, a bunch of other states, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> about people wanting to ban it um, – from being read in schools. Um, but it's a book about kind of like the, the post um, effects of slavery and so not to spoil anything, but the book pretty much centers around um, this woman who kills her child after being raped by white men and she kills her child because she doesn't want her child to feel the uh, to be subject to slavery as she was because she's she escaped from slavery this character and so that's the premise of the book um but throughout the book she's haunted by the ghost of this child that she killed mm-hmm. and blah 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 it's a whole thing read it it's a great book but now people are saying there are different petitions different conversations about about getting rid of the book and not allowing it in schools, which I think is really stupid um, because it talks about slavery and it talks about the effects of slavery. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily talk about slavery itself, but it talks about the trauma that follows generations, which I think is super – really interesting take. Um, But she was a very outspoken woman. It's really funny because every few weeks or months or whatever, sometimes different things will be circulating about – Tony Morrison, our videos will come up of interviews she had done back in the 80s and 90s about her writing. And I don't remember who it was, but there was one, um, there was one interviewer who asked her when she would stop writing about black people and start writing about white people. And that's she, and it was really brilliant <laughs> the way she answered it. It was very smart. It wasn't, it, she didn't respond like, oh, that's a really stupid question. Why you, oh, but cool. she, she responded in just a very like, amazing way a very respectful way but she like read him for filth and (laughs) i just really i just really enjoy her she had she has a sense she had a sense of humor she's dead now but um she but she had a pretty like a fairly normal she got married she had a son her son actually died i think in his Mm. 40s of of cancer maybe and the book she was working on at that time she stopped working on it because she was obviously like very upset about her son's death Mm. um but she ended up finishing it but she is very outspoken about always has been had been outspoken about race relations um when a, when the black lives matter movement began and there were different black men being killed she was very outspoken about um where our country was going in terms of um racism coming not alive again cuz i don't think it ever died but being on the rise again and I don't know. I just really – she's just, like, a lady who's classy but will destroy you and, like <laughs> – and so much. So when this whole conversation began, like, a few weeks ago about banning her books, I was like, oh, she would hate this. And if <laughs> she, she would were have alive, to say. she would have something to say about it. But I just – it really begs the question. And now people on Twitter are, like, talking about, you know, people of color on Twitter, specifically black people, are talking about the first instance when they um, – like knew they were being prejudiced against, or knew they were experiencing racism themselves, mm-hmm. and it reminds me of Toni Morrison, and it kind of was really nice because I was like, oh, Toni Morrison would say this. Like there are people who are still spouting her um, ideas and stuff, what I th- I think mm-hmm. is really cool. So the impact that she made, I think, is really, um, is really great, and you can it can still be felt now. Mm-hmm. But um, and so people were just saying, you know. Because of her book being banned, and this isn't the first conversation that people have had over wanting to ban her books, because they are graphic, but at the same time, I think they're necessary. Um, and anytime there's a conversation about a book being banned from schools, I think it's just stupid, because I just I just don't it get so it. Cool. I just don't understand um, why you would ban any book from school. Um, and it's funny, because I remember being in elementary school, and like I had a book on my desk, because I always had books on my desk. And my teacher walked by and she said, she was like, she looked at it and she was like, what why do you have this and i was like oh because when they i have free time it. or recess i'm gonna read it and i remember she said she was like well let's not bring this one to school because the cover was quote unquote scary or something and she was like that might offend like other children or that might scare other children and i was like I'm other kids and i was like well they're not <laughs> reading it I was, so i like turned it yeah. over and i was like whatever but she told me like not to bring it back and i was like kill you but um uh, anyway so it's really really great but that's where it began that's, maybe me. that's where it began <laughs> third grade really? when i was reading a goosebumps book and it had a scary cover oh, and my, my teacher goodness. didn't like it but but um, but anytime the conversation about this comes up in Toni Morrison's books, I'm like, yeah, they're graphic, but I think they're necessary. And so now the conversation on Twitter that people are having, it's like, well, when do we start teaching our kids about race yeah. through uh, or racism through books? And I think if Toni Morrison were still alive, she'd be like, whenever, like all the time, because, you know, and someone made a good point on Twitter. They said, like, I had to experience racism when I was in first grade. Mm. So why are we waiting to teach kids about racism till they're in high school or now out of high school. Cause it's like, I just don't get it. I just think it's really stupid. And I just think that it should be one of those things that it's taught all the time, all the time, forever through literature. And I think it, literature is a lens to see the world. And I just don't, I think if you're going to teach about something, teach it through the writings of a woman who experienced it firsthand and had a lot to say about it. And I just really love Toni Morrison and mm-hmm. her, um, sass and um everything she had to say about it she, there was nothing she wouldn't talk about she never backed down from a question um she was eternally respectful but would destroy you mm. which i think is the best when like someone's respectful and would be like you know but what let me, still, let me say what i have to say yes but could still like destroy the interviewer whoever. which i
0: think is like a loss nowadays but
1: it is um Yeah, and actually there is a quote from Beloved on this page. Her story was bearable because it was his as well. To tell, to refine, and tell again. Um, Yeah, I just – and she was super smart too. She went to – I believe she went to Harvard. Maybe she went to Howard University. I don't know. But she ended up teaching at Cornell. She was a teacher. She was um, a professor. She was obviously a writer. And she was a writer – like till late in her life it's not like mm-hmm. one of these writers i think we always think of writers and they're like oh they must have had the first book published at the age of three like super smart people but she was in- extremely intelligent and started publishing later in her life um and so i just i don't know i just really love her and i only am bringing her up because of the conversation that's happening now but mm-hmm. um but yeah so read her book yeah i don't know if you've brought her up before but read all timely. of her books beloved god help the child it's a very good one sula very good <laughs> um yeah she has a book called Sula mm-hmm. so I yeah I just and she's a Nobel. I think she's a Nobel Peace Prize winner as well mm-hmm. um which I think is funny that we give someone the Nobel Peace Prize and then we try to ban her books from schools makes I don't know sense. it makes just sense makes, sense makes no <laughs> sense to me but that's just a passionate subject matter mm-hmm. that I'm I'm passionate about as because I think it's stupid <laughs> 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 and I just think it's it really robs um Kids from learning about you know different views of life as well. It's just reading a good book. Like, come on, just read it. Mm. Maybe kids hate nah. reading because you well, ban books that are, that are really, really, really good.
0: Maybe <laughs> like dude. the conversation
1: about To Kill a Mockingbird that's been going on since the Which book was also, published. Also,
0: like I read the things I anyway. Well, yeah. let's not. Mm, let's Sorry, I just said it because but,
1: because I once again this is our podcast and I can talk about what I want. So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to talk about
0: her. today. We did talk about what we wanted. We, and did. we learned about lots of good writers that yes. you should. Look more into yeah. Oh, what's your story? Oh, not related. But this is not related at all.
1: Yes, lighter note maybe. Um, (laughs) But I saw this the other day on the internet, and I thought it was so funny. This is completely out of left field. It's like completely out of left field. Okay, so this thing that happened. It this thing old. It's like ancient old timey times, which I am not super familiar with, but it's fine. But it's about Xerxes the first. So like 480 BC. I don't know what Follow um, of the internet you were in. I don't remember this, but, where I okay. saw this, but it's really, I think it was Reddit probably. But this instance where Xerxes I of Persia, um, this was in 480 BC and this cracked me up. So he's trying to build bridges for his second invasion of Greece um, and across the modern day Dardanelles, which is in Turkey, modern day Turkey. And, but he needed to, I think it was called the Hellespont at the time, but he's trying to build bridges to invade Greece from where they were. And so he <laughs> needs to, to build up. bridges to get across the modern day Dardanelles, and um, so he, he he hires a bunch of people. They build these bridges um, for him. He gets there to cross with all his army and military people. Realizes that the bridges were destroyed by a storm, so they cannot cross. He kills the people he had hired to build these bridges. Okay. He executes them because, of course, it was their, yeah, fault. It was their fault. Um, and then. <laughs> he punishes the sea. So <laughs> oh. this is what happens. Wow, 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 um, wow. And this really cracked me up. Once again, I'm sure no one else finds this funny, but it says Xerxes the first was enraged and had those responsible for building the bridges beheaded. He is then said to have thrown fetters into the strait, given it 300 whiplashes, and branded it with red-hot irons as the soldiers shouted at the water. <laughs> so his soldiers are all, like, punishing the sea. For being like, I get that. A total, like, watch
0: me do that on my next like beach vacation. I'm gonna s- punch this. I just
1: the thought of a whole army of grown men like throwing whips into the sea, being like, curse you, you stupid idiot, cracks me up. I, I love it, I think it's amazing. Some people. Are skeptical if this happened or if it was just Greek propaganda. Oh, I, I, well, I, but well, I wholly I, believe I, this But happened. I,
0: I think I can believe that. I, I can believe that. Think that's Unfortunately. So funny. And so they punished
1: intense. the sea for several days. Wow. This um, was quite the scourge. It was they flogged the heck out of the sea. Wow. The sea felt its the, the Xerxes' wrath. wrath, I'm sure. And um then he hires new people to build the bridges. They build the bridges, they cross over, they invade Greece. Then the uh, dramatic irony is then they're coming back. Um, to get out of Greece after invading, the um, the bridges were destroyed and they couldn't get out. So
0: did it, they punish the sea again? Nah,
1: I don't think they, they punished have the, resources. the sea again. They didn't have the f- the the flogging materials. But um, I thought that was hilarious. That's quite the that story. These I have men to admit, are like shouting at a body of water, and you know everyone else <laughs> I was, was like, probably, like, like looking over, like what are they doing? <laughs> like <laughs> what is happening? Anyway, that just really cracked me. That, up. Could,
0: that could probably happen nowadays, but.
1: That's all, all I, I got. Say, what,
0: <laughs> I love that. That's fitting. That's a fitting way to end this podcast. So e- even if you don't like our writers, hopefully you enjoyed the little anecdote. Um, this was a good episode. I think I feel really good I about it. I feel really <laughs> good about it. Um, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. because I, I know I, I, learned I enjoyed a lot. it. I learned, uh, we know you enjoyed it, Gabby. Oh, uh, man. Um,
1: but yeah. Go throw some branding irons in the sea and, and punish, have
0: some fun. And while you're at it, follow us at underscore change by degrees do it give us a rating on itunes do it do all the things do it do it
1: do it just do it. do it
0: um and then do it next week when we catch
1: you. yeah all right bye, bye.